Hi, and welcome to the Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast for your everyday and well-being needs. I'm Amy from The Wellness Strategy, and I'm here to bring you a podcast that is going to help you understand what this big complex idea of well-being is. We know it's a very much needed space to focus on whether it's for your own needs or that in the workplace, but we also know it's complex, it's heavy, it's made up of lots of different elements. It looks different from person to person, which is why within this podcast, we are going to dive deep into uncovering some mistruths, misconceptions, and just random ideas around wellbeing. This may mean that you have to listen to me ramble, and at times we'll have on some fabulous guests, but overall, this is about checking in with yourself. What do you believe about wellbeing? What do you need? What are you proactively doing? What could you do differently? And how are we working together on both an individual and collective level to improve the well-being of ourselves and others within the workplace it's big it's deep it's complex but it's also amazing when we do this work both individually and together so hang in there grab a cuppa pop your headphones in and go for a walk and let's dive into today's episode hello wonderful people how are you welcome welcome it's um sunny and blue skies where I am but we just had this rain shower so I have no idea what's going on I can't even see a cloud and it rains that happens sometimes in Brisbane and it always baffles me but aside from that we are going to talk about what well-being is and I'm going to say I've done a similar podcast maybe not a similar title so maybe I'll call this something different but what I want to share is the the things to be thinking about when you embark on your your well-being journey, especially in the workplace. So sometimes I talk about well-being very generally, but over my work, uh, especially in the last 12 months and uh, off the back of my book, what's really come to light is that we don't know what we're talking about when we say well-being. And we already know that it's personal, it looks different person to person, or at least I hope you know that. But it's still ambiguous in terms of one's understanding of the scientific definitions, the research, how to language aspects of well-being and talk about it. And so what I want to do is share a few different definitions, frameworks and approaches that will allow you to talk about well-being in a knowledgeable way. Because, you know, knowledge is action, right? And so what we have to do is build our base. We have to build our foundation of what of knowing and understanding what well-being is to be confident to talk about it. This is now why is this so important? Not just because you need to do it from a cognitive or an intellectual um, perspective, but well-being is a personal piece. It's it's about the person. And what can happen is if we don't have the information in terms of knowledge to be able to explain or talk about what's happening, our emotions take over. And so it can become we can become quite emotional when we're talking about well-being because it connects to how we feel. And if we don't have the language, not just to talk about well-being, but even to talk about emotions and being granular with that. And if you're not sure about that, go and look at some of um, Brene's Brown's work in Atlas of the Heart or Susan David's work on emotional agility. But if we're not able to be really articulate with how we feel, we tend to use words like I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired because they're our common go-tos and we're not able to move past it. We're not able to talk about actually it's impacting my well-being because or I just don't feel like I'm connected or I don't feel like I'm fulfilled or I'm not sure what our vision is and so therefore I don't have any meaning or purpose. And we need to be get, we need to be better, be more better is not English. That's what I was thinking in my head. We need to get better, be more able to really articulate and explain what well-being looks like for us personally, collectively, professionally, all of the aspects 
so that when we're looking at how do we improve it, how do we change it, what does it allow us to, to do in terms of enhancing or elevating well-being, we can actually use language that's supportive of that and doesn't just tie us up in our emotional state. Because when we're in an emotional state, yes, we need to recognize and acknowledge that. But if we're using that as also the position to talk about what we want, what we want to change, what is or isn't working, it can be hard to communicate that because our emotive brain doesn't allow us to think necessarily openly, rationally, logically, creatively. We are also more likely to be defensive, to get our armor on, to want to justify, deny or blame those types of behaviors. And so it means moving forward is more challenging when we're in that state. And so what we have to do is, first of all, allow ourselves time for that emotion to process. And then when we're talking about well-being, we have to be able to do it from an objective point of view that allows us to take note of what the research says, the definitions, the meanings, all of those bits and pieces, but also be able to think, and what does that look like for me? What does that look like for us? What does it look like in the workplace, for our team, for the group, rather than just focusing on, well, these things are impacting my well-being and we need to fix them. So let's take a look at some different ways that are going to support and inspire us to build a language base around talking about what well-being is and also to have a foundation of being able to feel confident in explaining uh, and putting together different pieces of well-being so that when we're talking about it from a space of change, we're all on the same page, but also we're empowered with knowledge you know, knowledge is power. So let's take a look. So the first thing I want to highlight here for you are some definitions and some ways of looking at well-being that come from the World Health Organization. So first of all, the World Health, or well, can't even say it, World Health Organization defines well-being as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, which is important to note, right? Because sometimes we think, Oh, yeah, well-being is all about not feeling uh, ill, not being unhappy, not being stressed. You know, my well-being is only functioning if I'm happy all the time. And that's not actually accurate. There's another definition of well-being that the World Health Organization has used that I reference in my book. And it talks about being able to manage everyday stress, working to strengths, working productively and contributing to community. So it's actually far more complex. And what that highlights is that our well-being is not just about trying to avoid negative feelings. It's actually a state and it's recognizing when we're in that state and when we're not. And also knowing that life, of course, is going to pull us up or down and we've got to have the resources to get back to that complete physical, mental and social well-being. What the World Health Organization also says is that well-being for both individuals and societies is a resource for daily life and it's determined by our social, economic and environmental conditions. So well-being is a resource. It allows us to function and flourish. Like we need that. It also says well-being encompasses quality of life and the ability of people and societies to contribute to the world with a sense of meaning and purpose. So when we feel like we have quality of life, we're able to contribute. We know this too, because if you think about it in terms of Maslow's hierarchy, if you don't have those foundations of well-being being met, and if you don't have those basic core needs of survival, you can't contribute. You can't be a part of society because your basic survival needs are not taken care of. And so of course that comes in into, well, if I don't have food, if I don't have shelter, if I don't feel safe, my well-being is not where it should be in terms of where we would like humans to be, people to be, societies to be. And so we can't expect people in those spaces to contribute to the world beyond 
themselves because they they can't they're not looked after they're not safe themselves and so we have to know that in order for well-being to be functioning and flourishing some basic things need to be taken care of it also states that focusing on well-being supports the tracking of equitable distribution of resources overall thriving and sustainability so the more we focus on well-being the more we're able to distribute resources that we have with within a workplace within a planet whatever way you want to take it and that that supports and connects to how we thrive individually and collectively and our ability to sustain that. And then it also says a society's well-being can be determined by the extent in which they are resilient, build capacity for action, and are prepared to transcend challenges. And this is what I want you to pay attention to right now. Because let's say that a workplace or a school is a society. It's a group of people that gather. It's a society in itself. And so if well-being is functioning and flourishing, if it is where it is at its most optimal, then what this says is that the society, so a workplace or a school, will have people who are resilient, will have people who are committed to action and have the capacity to take action. And it'll also have people who are able to transcend, move through and overcome challenges. So when well-being is taken care of, we can do those things. We can be resilient, we can take action and we can transcend any challenge. We can overcome any challenge that comes toward us. And in schools specifically, let's think about that and what we've experienced over the last couple of years and what we're looking at now in terms of teacher shortages and teacher and principal burnout and workload issues and uh, student needs. We, we have to be more resilient. We have to have that capacity for action and we have to be prepared to overcome, be prepared to overcome challenges or we're not going to get anywhere. Now, I'm not at all in this moment saying that's what we should do and just move on and get over it. I'm saying that these are skills we need and we can only have these skills if our well-being is taken care of, if we feel like our well-being is supported, if we feel like we have meaning and purpose, and if those basic foundational needs are taken care of as well. It's so, it's such a puzzle. There are so many pieces to it. In my brain, I have like this mind map puzzle of cogs with all of the different things and I want to be able to piece it together for you so that I can, I can give you a visual as well. So that's something I'm working on. But along with the uh, World Health Organization definitions, there's also something called subjective and psychological well-being. So this is really important to understand too. So our subjective and psychological well-being, these things, you know, are up for debate and different researchers say it's this and someone says it's that and some say it's both and I think it's both and I think with the more knowledge we have, the more we can make our own understanding and awareness, right? So uh, what 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 this what this means and what it looks like again may be different to the individual or the collective but it's about having that understanding so first of all our subjective well-being is often referred to as one's own perception of happiness and life satisfaction so generally or not generally do we feel happy do we have satisfaction of life but there are so many things that influence this right so it could be genetics it could be environment it could be experiences it's also the stories we tell ourselves our beliefs the meaning we attach to the world whether we're aligning actions with values that is one sense of subjective well-being and then we have psychological well-being which actually is about our mental and emotional state, which does relate to subjective, but this can include things such as self-esteem, purpose, and the ability to cope with stress and challenges. 
Now, the difference here is when we are talking about subjective well-being and doing things that make us happy, it's often things that are external to us. So this is the category where things like mani-pedis, massages, morning teas fall into because they're about us being happy and feeling satisfied in that moment. But what these things don't take care of, however, is things like purpose our ability to cope with stress, adding meaning to our life because they're ad hoc activities. And so whilst we continue the subjective well-being factors, you'll have to also ask yourself, how are we building in our awareness, our understanding and our focus and attention on also psychological well-being? Now, the piece that's tricky here is that subjective well-being is often quicker or to do or easier to do or can be outsourced because it's that pursuit of happiness, that emotional state and feeling. Psychological well-being is not. It takes work, long-term work. Maybe it's a little bit challenging. Maybe it's hard. Maybe we don't know if we're going to actually get there until we do some of the work and we've got to be prepared to balance and do both. Now, the last framework I want to throw in here. Um, Let's throw in another one. Also, this one here is around PERMA and we all know most of us actually know PERMA or PERMA Plus from Martin Seligman, said to be the founder of positive psychology and he's done amazing work in this space. But his PERMA model is one that we can all learn from. So PERMA is positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishments, and the plus is around optimism, nutrition, physical activity, and sleep, so that physical well-being component. And these things really matter. You know, how do we build that positive emotion? How engaged are we in the works that we do? What are our relationships like? How do we foster meaning? And where are our accomplishments and growth? This is very much a blend of that subjective and psychological well-being that we need and that we need to be aware of. And the beautiful thing about this is, is that PERMA is an acronym, so it's really easy to remember. But each of those five plus the bonus six have tangible things that you can do to build both individually and collectively. And let's, of course, not forget uh, the Resilience Project out there. They do some amazing work and they have their GEM model, Gratitude, empathy and mindfulness and we just even know little things like that all help us to better understand well-being there might be others in fact i'm sure there are others you know there's five ways to well-being and a whole bunch of other frameworks out there if you're not sure what they are just google it you'll find more than one i promise now it doesn't really matter what you know or what you've been using, what you don't know, if all of this is brand new, because this whole purpose is let's build that collective and shared understanding together because Once we have those pieces of the puzzle, once we're able to do that, we can actually then start to ask ourselves, so what does this look like when we're thinking about what well-being is for me personally and what is it professionally? What we've just been talking about are three, four different ways you can look at well-being. And if I'm honest, you know, I think when I first learned about well-being being a state uh, and linked to mental health and then also the subjective and psychological well-being, it was a real pin drop moment for me. I was like, oh, that's why when I do all of the things, I still don't feel like I'm any better because, you know, I was doing all of the things that are supposed to make me happy. I was getting the massages and the mani-pedis and having catch-ups with friends and I was doing the morning teas at school and doing things that made me feel good, but it definitely wasn't fulfilling. It definitely wasn't what I needed to be able to take care of my well-being at an optimal and functional level and think, oh yeah, like I'm balanced here because that wasn't balance, right? What was happening was I was adding more things to my plate or doing them in a really regimented strict way, but none of them were about feeling fulfilled or adding meaning to my life or purpose or 
deep connection or growth. And so I had to pause and ask myself, is what I'm doing really meaningful here? Does it really matter to my well-being? You know, what is it that would light me up? So rather than spending money now on going and getting a mani-pedi or a massage, I'm far more inclined to go and pay uh, to do a half-day yoga retreat or to chuck some petrol in the car and drive an hour to go and hike a mountain because those things are more fulfilling for my well-being than the ad hoc things we've been taught and told we should do. The added to that too is the idea of meaning, purpose, connection, growth, fulfillment, like asking myself, do I feel fulfilled? How do I get meaning in my life? How does that align to my values? And all of those things are so important in terms of understanding what our well-being is personally and professionally. And we're not great at doing that. We're not great at pausing. We're not great at reflecting. We're not great at asking because we've been taught, told, led to believe that well-being is something we do. And it's not. It's not what we do. What I want you to understand when we're talking about well-being, these these definitions, these understandings, these different ways of looking at it is that well-being isn't something that we do. It's not an add-on. It's part of who we are. You know, it's it's part of who we are. It's how we're being. It's how we work. It's how we interact and connect with each other. It's how we feel, not just what we do. And so one of the frameworks and graphics I use when I coach people and when I go into workplaces is that I, I say, put down what you think you should be doing, put down the doing bit and instead focus on how do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? And then what do you do? Like, how do you want to feel? Energized, connected, productive. Who do you want to be? want to be someone that's present, motivated, engaged. So what do you have to do? Well, in order to be energized and engaged, I have to be awake. I have to have sleep. If I'm tired, I can't do those things. Great. So let's sleep more. You know, that's how we've got to look at it. We Instead, we flip it. We go do, do, do. No, no, no. Let's not do that. Let's go back to feel and be and then do. And so in a workplace, we need to apply that same logic and that same thinking. Who do we want to be as a workplace? How do we want our staff to be? How do we want our staff to feel? How do we want our teams to feel? Who do we want our teams to be? We need to look at it through this lens and then layer in what the World Health Organization says about well-being, what subjective and psychological well-being is, maybe PERMA, if that's something you want to layer on top or other frameworks and things that you might use, and then ask, is this really what well-being is to me? Because it is individual, it is it is contextualized, it is personal. And so we have to spend time asking, what's well-being to me? What's well-being to us? What do we believe about well-being as a collective, as a team or as a workplace? Because this is how we get to incorporate individual and collective practices that support our physical, emotional, social, subjective and psychological well-being. It's through this approach and this lens. And this is where we want to focus our energy because by stopping for a moment and resetting what well-being is, resetting, reconnecting and giving it time and space to really ask what is well-being, We're going to lead happier and healthier lives because all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, that's what well-being is to me. That's where I feel most fulfilled. That's where I have most meaning. They are my values and that's what I want to work towards. And so this is what we then, whether it's individually or collectively, personally or professionally, on our own or in the workplace, start to focus on because this is what matters. And interestingly, when we do this, when we learn to make decisions based on values, 
individual values or workplace values or team values, whatever it might be, when we make decisions based on these, when we connect using these, when we take action that are in alignment with these, we increase fulfillment, meaning and purpose. And when we do that, we're also able to be more resilient because we're more confident, we feel more balanced, we have established those meaningful strategies. And this means then we're more able to collectively cope with life and work and challenges that come along, which means we're going to feel like our well-being is more at its equilibrium point, its balance point. That's where it needs to be. You know, I often say we want, we think of well-being as being this ultimate utopia, but it's not. Well-being is simply a balance point, your point of equilibrium, your point where you feel most at home and grounded and safe with self. That's well-being. And there are life events that pull you up. And then you need strategies to pull you back down. And then there are things that pull you down away from that. And you need strategies to bring you up. You know, life events that pull you up, like holiday time where you can feel ecstatic or someone is having a baby or there's a wedding or just something really fun, awesome happens. That's not your natural state to be in all the time. So we need strategies to bring us back down. So I know sometimes if I'm getting quite excited or uh, passionate about something, that's not my home state in terms of my equilibrium and, and well-being. So I might need to do some breath work or watch some TV where my mind switches off or go for a walk to move that energy to get back balanced. And then, of course, we have things that pull us down from that. You know, we have moments of stress, report writing time, something unexpectedly, expectedly, something unexpected happens, sorry, happens in the family. Um, we get stuck in traffic, you know, small things or big things. It, it can be so many. And so we need strategies to pull it back, pull us back up. And this could be a process of building positive emotion or working through that. It could be talking to someone. It, it again could be going for a walk or doing some breath work. It, it looks different for everyone depending on the context. And sometimes we can get back to our equilibrium point quickly and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But the more we understand what well-being is, the intricacies of it, the complexities, what it is for us individually, collectively, personally, professionally, in our everyday and workplace factors, the more able we are to, to, to really tackle that. And, you know, it's how we tackle it that also is a reflection of our understanding. So we have to go back to just asking those questions. What do I believe about well-being? What do we believe about well-being? What's well-being to me? What's well-being to us? The more we build that understanding, the, the more we're able to establish efficacy. So our belief that what we're doing will work and that it matters. And from here, well-being improves. You know, and this is why it's not about that ad hoc strategy, that one piece, that staff meeting free week or that morning tea. This is why it's about a multitude of layers of things and really deepening our understanding. So as much as I want to be able to say, here's a checklist, go and do those things and everything will be sweet. That is not what well-being is. And even though I talk about this, write about this, live this, I know where my baseline is, but that doesn't mean I always have or know the strategies to be able to get me back there quickly when I'm pulled above or below that. It's work. Sometimes a walk works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes a sleep works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes a massage works, sometimes it doesn't. It's it's about having a multitude of strategies and saying, what do I need right now to get back to where my definition of well-being is, my base, my equilibrium point, what I call my home, where I'm most grounded and stable. And where I can be productive and engaged and work well. And when obstacles come my way, I'm able to work through them and I can face challenges easily and I can be resilient. Like what do I need to get me to that point and stay there for as long as I can or get me back there as quickly as I can, whether that's individual or in a workplace or team sense, that's what we need to start looking at when we're considering well-being.
All right, lovely people. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. That has been so good to talk about. I've absolutely loved it. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode. But in the meantime, have a lovely day, week, evening, night. And if you did enjoy this, please share it, like it, post about it, send it on to a friend, whatever. And also let me know. And if I hear from you, awesome. If not, I will see you somewhere soon. Bye. Okay, so it's not quite the end. We couldn't wrap this up without giving a shout out to our socials. So please make sure you head over to Facebook and follow us at The Wellness Strategy with Amy Green or join our exclusive Facebook group, The Wellness Strategy Collective. You can find us on Insta at underscore The Wellness Strategy and also head to our website to find out more about us and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at www.thewellnessstrategy.com.au. So much gratitude. See you somewhere soon. Let's do this again.